1: Hello and welcome to season five of the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. And as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, my name is Mark.
2: My Twitter handle is at Mr. Mark Simpson, and I'm going to be representing Liverpool.
3: Hi, I'm Richard. I'm on Twitter at RichardTheBurns, and I'm a
4: Manchester City fan. Hi, I'm Jake. I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room, and you get me on Twitter at Jake Jackball of ends. I will be representing Newcastle on the podcast.
5: Hi, I'm Sean Whetstone. I write for Clarence Hugh and West Ham till I die. My handle on Twitter is West, at West Ham Football, so you can already guess I'm a happy
1: hammer. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, for you at home, uh, it's important to know that we are going to try a little bit of a different format today and see if we like it. So if you like it, let us know that you do. If you don't, feel free to also let us know that. But So we will start off, instead of starting with making the rounds, we're going to typically do more of a uh, reaction to news and notes that have been happening throughout the Premier League. Right now, the two main things that are happening, transfers and club friendlies. And with all these friendlies that are happening I've seen so many large and grandiose reactions to what's been happening uh, on the pitch for people like, uh, for example, as Tottenham supporter, as early as yesterday morning, which would have been Saturday morning, people were uh, all doom and gloom about the fact that we haven't made any big signings, that we sold Kyle Walker to a rival and everything was going to be awful. Then at that night beat PSG 4-2 in a friendly where they played with 10 men in the second half and all of a sudden were legitimate title contenders again and it's just very uh, hard to keep up with how it looks like a club will perform throughout the season and we're basing it off of transfers of of players that we haven't really seen play for the new clubs yet or in very small doses or teams on the whole that we've already seen in the past but maybe are trying out new things on the pitch maybe they're trying new personnel whether it be youth players that are being pulled in so I'm just curious to quickly get your guys's view on international club friendlies and how much weight should be put into either the performances or the results.
2: One one thing I've noticed this this summer is the high level high profile fixtures that are going on. Um you've had Manchester City play Manchester United, Arsenal playing Chelsea. You know, there's there's lots of really big games going on that especially like English teams versus English teams that I've not I've not no, noticed normally. Um, as far as as far as friendly goes, in my opinion, it's just glorified training games that are just done to bring the club extra money. Uh, they get dragged around the get dragged around the world. Managers hate them, um, but it's it's a necessary thing to do to bring in the amount of money that they do to promote their brand. But for for me. What I have noticed is the amount of massive fixtures, like with with clubs playing each other this year, that that I I don't know. I personally haven't noticed throughout the uh, throughout the last year, last few seasons.
3: Yeah, I I despair of the the use of friendlies now. I think I agree that the primary use is to bring players up to fitness for managers to test out tactics that they've been stewing over over the summer and how to use the new players and, and to. Let the players get a feel for that and see what does and doesn't work, and which combinations of players can go together, etc. Um, but the, I mean, you're absolutely right that the the profile of the friendlies now has been um, has been massively ramped up, and we have TV companies that now show friendlies live. Um, and I, I sort of despair of it because I just. Like as much as I love watching City and talking about them and all the rest of it through the season, I quite enjoy the summer break. And I don't want to be forced to care about something that, that still happens in the break. That is, to all intents and purposes, a, a money-making scheme. The, but I get that the clubs have to do that. They have to go and sell the brand. But it doesn't need to be shown on the TV channels and the, the highlights shown like they were just a, a regular Premier League game. It, um it drives me a little bit mad because it, it makes people set a bit of stall by the results. And it really doesn't need to happen. I mean, I'll watch the highlights and I'll read about it. And for, for us against United the other day, and we had a, a really encouraging performance from a young lad called Phil Foden, stuff like that is is great. Pep now sees that he can work with much more established players. But it's, it's no more than that to me. Uh, and the fact that we, we now play these as competitions where there's trophies at the end of them, um, I think it's all, from a footballing perspective, incredibly unnecessary, but uh, the, the globalisation of football continues pace, doesn't it? And it's it's only going to get um, well better or worse, depending on your perspective, but to me, it's only going to get worse.
4: Yeah, for me, I didn't, I didn't really uh, put that much importance into pre-season and performances, results. Uh, I mean Arsenal didn't they beat Bayern Munich yesterday so that's sort of how irrelevant they are because that never <laughs> happens so yeah but for, for, there's a couple of things you can take from them and I think it's uh, certain individuals they can go out there and if they're playing for their place or they come back from loan or something similar they've got something to prove and it's always good to watch the, the players sort of try and fight into the manager's plans I think you had it with Victor Moses last year at Chelsea that's quite a good example uh, and at Newcastle this year we've got Sim De Jong who's come back and he's playing quite a prominent role in pre-season and that's interesting because he's never really done well for us. So he's sort of got a point to prove. So there's always that edge to it. And I think tactically, managers are never going to give away what they're going to do in the season like how you line up on the first day sort of set pieces they're going to be completely different to what have been rolled out in pre-season you'll sort of get an idea of them but you're never going to get all of it because especially if Man United playing Man City they're not going to Mourinho and Guardiola are not going to sort of show their hand that early in a pre-season game so mm. I, I think it's a, it's a fitness thing it's it's a, a global thing now especially for the top six clubs they get they go off and sort of entertain their, their fans abroad and sort of bring in commercial ties and, and sponsorship so I think it's a lot more about that and I think managers I think if managers would be honest they don't want to go on those far, far-flung journeys I know Newcastle are based in England we, we've had a game against Hearts and a game against Preston so it's not like we're going that far and it's because Benitez wants his players to stay here and I think all managers would want that and Newcastle are not at the level yet to need to go to that global level but yeah it's, it's not important is it I don't think it's, it's all about fitness
5: yeah, well, from my point of view, I remember a time when uh, West Ham used to play three uh, season friendlies against people like Billericke or South End or Dagenham and Redbridge. You know, you'd play all your local sides, um, but that's long gone. I mean, we, last year I think we were in the US, and the year before that we were in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, but this year Slaven Bilic has actually said he wants very low key pre season. So we've just come back from Austria and we're going on Monday to Germany, so we're keeping it very low-key. Even that said, funny enough, I, I got approached by a German side, uh, a fifth-division German side, who wanted to play uh, West Ham in a friendly, and I was a little go-between, and I saw, I had a little insight to this. Do you know a Premier League side wants around £200,000 to pra- play um, a friendly? And I managed mm. to get it down to one hundred eighty. not it, it didn't go ahead in the end. But it shows you the money involved, and and someone else said, televise. So, Premier Sports picked up all of West Ham's five um, uh, pre-season games abroad, and we're going to televise them live. And we're encouraging fans to pay ten pound a month subscription. And, and and as someone said earlier, these are glorified training. You know, the first game, people up in their arms. It was it was we played the, the development team of a third division Austrian team. Not the first team, but the development team, and we didn't score. It was zero zero, and 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 West Ham fans were up at arms, going, "Oh my God, what kind of season we're going to have?" Then on the second game, we played Fulham, and we won two one. But again, the live TV company who promised to do it dropped us and only played it, delayed the match, delayed by an hour and a half, and people were going, "Oh my God, oh my God, look, it doesn't mean anything." I remember. Um, t- times we've we've won convincingly every single pre-season and gone on to have a nightmare of a uh, season get relegated. And equally, I've seen really bad pre-seasons where we've lost everything and we've gone on to do really well. So it means squat. It's, it's glorified training. And as someone else said, there's a little bit of marketing, there's a little bit of brand awareness, and there's a little bit of money. There is one thing you can tell, uh, and, and I spotted this when I watched a game, is... You can look at the body mat, uh, the body language of some of your players to mm. work out whether they're going to leave or not. Uh, Faguli is a link with Galatasaray. You could see from the two games he's played, he didn't <laughs> really want to be there, and it, that guy's off. So that that was a, a useful thing for me. Apart from that, it it it's paid for um, training sessions. I think
2: one thing that I. Personally, use it for. I don't know if anybody else in this group does. I use it for my fantasy football teams. Do you remember last <laughs> season when 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 Kapui scored like six or seven goals in preseason, and then he yeah. went on and scored loads at the start. I I picked up on that. So for a personal point of view, scored two I days see, ago as
1: well in a friendly. Re- really, so mm-hmm.
2: um, yeah. So you can you can like spot the spot the trends there for like your fantasy football picks for the first coming season. But yeah. Like, a, like everybody else has said, it's just end of the day, it's a bit of money making. You can't take anything from it at all, really.
1: Yeah, I, I'm interested in a note that um, uh, two of you already mentioned. Actually, Sean touched on it as well with playing the local teams. Do you feel like the fact that teams are playing bigger opponents almost over-legitimizes it? Because now you're comparing yourself to another European giant while kind of not really addressing the fact that neither of you are putting out your best team or really have a firm grasp on what you're going to be trying to do that season. Like, Would it be better if it was either not televised or if you were playing local rivals that Sean mentioned?
3: Yeah, for me. But that—that that, I think that feeds into the, the profile of the game. And for, for us as City, playing United or um, playing Real Madrid or whoever else, I think that's it's all part of, it does over legitimize it in terms of uh, people analyzing the results, but that feeds into, uh, I think what I said earlier as well about adding, making it um, competitive to the point of adding a trophy to it as well. Um, and calling it like a, a champions cup or, you know, the international cup or whatever they're calling them. Um, I think that also does something to over legitimize it. Cause then, I mean, it might only be a small minority, but um, and it might be specifically the type of fans that these friendlies are aimed at targeting and bringing in, but you do see people talking about it. Every now and then, it might only be, like say, a really small minority, but people talk about it as if it's a trophy. And it, um, I mean, they literally count for nothing. Nobody's nobody's bothered about them uh, mm. generally. But every now and then, you will see somebody break through and, and sort of celebrate it as if it's a real thing with with no hint of irony. And I hate that because I don't think it's too difficult to imagine uh, a few years down the line whether it be 10 years or whatever that this becomes a real thing these sort of end of season tournaments where people do legitimize them and that there's um you know prize something that incentivizes uh the, the prize winning of it i don't know if maybe i'm i might be talking nonsense but it, it's just no, i hate I,
1: I think there's a lot of point a lot of good points in there because it happened with the community shield where it was basically a glorified friendly, and now you had uh, not to be speaking with the City fan about the flaws of United, but there were people <laughs> last year arguing they'd won the treble because they'd won the community shield. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, when when Mancini uh, was sacked by City, he did a. It, it was really cool actually because he never got a, like a last game with us that we knew was coming. So he, he did a thing in the local paper, the Manchester Evening News, where he paid for an advert to say goodbye, and he put on it that he'd. Um, I like I won't forget our three trophies or something like that, and with the community shield taking pride of place there. To me, it's, it's a simple rule if you win a game or a tournament where you can make more substitutes than you can in a a standard competitive game of football then it doesn't count it's that simple to me
5: you don't forget there's a massive game in Reykjavik in Iceland soon you know this don't you it's a massive game and it's gonna be the the,
1: the European Super, Super Cup thing
5: No, West Ham are playing City in Reykjavik in in Iceland uh, in August. This is one of the the last friendly we're going to play because we're not allowed to play a friendly at the London (laughs) Stadium. Some athletics going on. So instead, we've arranged (laughs) a friendly in Iceland against Man City. I think it's the beginning of of August.
1: I didn't Uh, even know
5: that. (laughs) Yeah, flung
1: matches a City because I'll I'll see them next week in Nashville. I'll
5: be honest with you, if we win it, I will be celebrating
0: because it's City.
5: (laughs) and of course because it's a friendly we can play Joe Hart and uh, (laughs) Zabaleta
3: yeah well hopefully if Zabaleta scores the winner and starts kissing the badge then I'll start to care about that friendly
1: (laughs) 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 yeah that's actually a really interesting uh, uh, turn of events there for you because I'm going to be in Nashville at the end of this week where Manchester City will play Tottenham and I'll be seeing Kyle Walker play against us for the first time I enjoy (laughs) or something (laughs) Um, but, yeah, that, that is part of an interesting thing about these friendlies. And, and I, I think while it is uh, a, sh- a very shameless marketing ploy, I think the reason uh, this may sound dumb, but the reason why it works is because it works. Because fans that are far-flung across the world will go see their team at the nearest place to them that isn't England. Um, and so you do get huge turnout locally. I know the Tottenham match yesterday had 33,000. I'm sure the City United match had far more. Um yeah, but- thousand yeah so it, it it does its job but i agree i think if it was a little less high profile it would take away that legitimacy that some people are giving it like the community shield like we just spoke about so now in a kind of switch uh of the way we run things this would be where quote-unquote making the rounds would go um but instead we're going to ask more specific questions uh instead of just a vague what's been happening at your club we'll start off with you mark talking about liverpool uh, there's been so much talk around both Virgil van Dyke uh, and Nabi Keita that both of them would be coming. The Van Dyke thing was so close that basically every quote unquote ITK and even some that weren't new that it was about to happen, that one falls through. The Kaita deal has been spoken about since June and still hasn't fallen through. What's your take on that as a as a Liverpool fan? Do you think it's better that you identified your targets early and are now just you know tr- trying to get those churned out and get them finished? Or do you think it would be better if you had diversified earlier in the season so you wouldn't be so attached to those two?
2: This is the first season in a in a really, really long time that we've gone for a, a different caliber of player. So what do I mean by that? It means that in the past we've been um in the Europa League or or not in Europe. So we've you know our targets that we've gone for. Um, are a lot easier to get over the line now we're going for players that are not only champions league quality but like the best players at these teams and when you start going for these sort of players you're going to get a lot more objections so for example van dyke captain of Southampton by far their best player arguably one of the best defenders in the the premiership he has been touted by Man City by Chelsea Arsenal by Liverpool by by many other teams so when you're going for a player like this Saints obviously don't want to don't want to sell but they know that when these big teams calling, Champions League teams come calling. That they're they're gonna have to listen, and it all kicked off in June because of the way that Liverpool went about it. Now I don't, you know, this this literally just reading between the lines here. I don't know this for a fact, but um, Liverpool have gone to the players' reps. And they've gone to Van Dyke and said, listen, we want you. And Klopp has obviously spoken to him on a on a lovely little beach in Blackpool. And he's, he's come to his decision that he wants to sign for Liverpool. He, you know, he could have gone Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal. Anyway, he's decided he want to go to Liverpool. Now, the reason why this whole, um, I'm trying not to swear, mess up happened was because of the way that Liverpool went about their business afterwards. Because Southampton wanted a bidding war. They wanted to get as as much money as possible for this player. But when Liverpool announced through their local media, uh, through like Paul Joyce and the Echo and through um, the, the local press, that Van Dijk had agreed personal terms with Liverpool, that stopped the bidding war. And, and that is why Southampton... Um, got really annoyed and that's why they made notions that they would be reporting Liverpool to the Premier League and then Liverpool had to apologise, blah, blah, blah. It's come about where now that Van Dyke has, has come about and said that he doesn't want to play for Southampton and he's specifically gone to them and said, I want to play for Liverpool. And then that that was leaked, kind of interestingly, by Southampton local press. So... <laughs> um, it. You know, if anybody's ever read the Secret Footballer books, for example, uh uh some great books, and you, you get you'll get quite a decent understanding about how the whole transfer world works and you know as and as many people said after the whole apology incident with Liverpool, everybody gets tapped up. It's how transfers happen nowadays. It's just um how how these how these things happen, you know. Like uh, the, the, the agents act as an intermediate between clubs, and it, all these things just sort of happen. And at the moment, it's just all part of the dance. Uh, Southampton and Liverpool will probably come to some form of agreement, and Van Dyke will probably be a, a Liverpool player by a major balls up between now and, and the end of August. It, um, but it's, it's just the reason why these things have dragged is because we're going for such a, a higher. Caliber of player now, and the same thing with with Keiter. He's Leipzig's best player. They don't want to sell. They've got Ralph Rangnick, who is their sporting director. Who, uh, if anybody's ever come across him before, they know he's a very stubborn man, and he and they've got a lot of money. Leipzig, so they don't they don't have to sell. So Liverpool have to they have to persuade the club to sort of part ways. Kyö is. Has said that he wants to join Liverpool. It's been in, it's been reported in the press that he's agreed personal terms, and now it's just a case of trying to do a deal with the club that really don't want to sell one of their best players. You know, they just got into Champions League um, after a great season in Germany. But again, it's a player who really wants to um, to sign for Liverpool and, and Jurgen Klopp. This is the first time where Jurgen Klopp has been given. Um, a big transfer budget and he's and he's and he's basically he's he's doing a lot of the work he's going and meeting these players he's you know he's winning these players over um before that the clubs have even start to negotiate on on a price and it's and it, and it, you know for me from a personal point of view it's it's awesome to see because if if we can get um van Dijk if we can get kairo over the line then our our squad just improves you know, dramatically. Um I think Salah is, is a, is a great bit of business, but you know, people forget that was such a hard deal to get over the line as well, because of how Roma were, were negotiating. It worked a little bit more in our favor because they had to sell a player before the 1st of July to, mm. uh, to fall in line with FFP. So everybody knew a deal was going to be done. It was just what price could they agree on? And, and, or if, if Roma could have sold another one of their players before that date, um, but but that happened but that was just a, it's just it w- when you're going for these different type of players um transfers just become just become harder and 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 that's just fact and that's just where we are at the moment and also as well liverpool never really um speaking from a liverpool perspective we never make a transfer seem easy you know mm. i think it's it's been well documented the 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 amount of times that we've tried for players and just failed last minute but um yeah without going on too long and a long way round of asking a short question it's purely because we're going for a different caliber of player than we're normally to that's why these deals are dragging on but i am confident that this week or in the next 10 days um at least one of those deals will, will get done
1: all right i guess uh i guess we will see where that lands um over to you now richard a lot of people are talking right now about how much you've spent on defense in the past Well, few days, but also if you count Ederson from the start of the window, because you obviously need to strengthen a goalkeeper as well. The interesting thing that I've seen is that it seems like both groups of fans on either side of the Manchester divide are yelling at the other one that with the amount of money you're throwing down, football is somehow being ruined, uh, which is a, a debate, you know. Uh, that could be had between different fan bases on if they think that this kind of money in football is ruining it. But as a neutral, it seems like both of you are outspending pretty much everyone else. Uh, how do you feel about that, and do you think that United are worse in this regard? Um, I. I find it really hard to care
3: about transfer fees anymore. I think um, we, without diverging like too much away from the, the city point, I think we're at a point now where this summer we're seeing last year's TV money or last year's TV deal kicking in for the first time. And I mm-hmm. think it's going to take a, a good season or two for this to settle and for us to get an understanding of what really constitutes value now. So if in two years... £50 million pound is sort of par for the course for a 26-year-old a, a English right-back. Well, I can well see that being the case because we know that there's a, a premium for English players anyway. A player who is experienced in the Premier League that fills a gap that we desperately needed filling um, is not the easiest thing to come by. And we were buying that from a club who are uh, notoriously hard negotiators and uh, in, in Kyle Walker's case, obviously. Uh, and who are a direct rival to us. So it was never going to come cheap. Um, As long as the player performs to the standard that we need him to, and and I suppose this obviously is a qualifier that within reason, I don't really care how much we spend. Um, The thing I would say on it with the full-backs is, although... Yes, we are spending a lot of money. That is in a position that has been seriously neglected for years. I think in the the season and a bit that I've been doing this show, um, if not every time I'm on, then it's every other time. I I have to make reference to the fact that we've let our our fullbacks age to the point that we had four fullbacks, all of whom were early to mid-30s, which is not an ideal position to be in. and whenever we tried to address the fullbacks, when we brought Sanya in, he was over 30 when we brought him in. So we we made this problem for ourselves, and now we are having to spend a lot of money to dig ourselves out of it. We've just let Kolarov go for less than $5 million, Who who is not a great defender. But in this market, it's crazy to me that he's that he's worth less than that. I think That's, that's an massive. interesting
1: one. Wouldn't you have thought that he was worth more than that to you? Because are you also going to buy two left backs? Because it seems he still could have filled the role as backup left back and backup at center back.
3: Yeah, what um, Guardiola has is, is quite publicly said on that, though, is that Kolarov came to him and the club and said that he wanted to make the move, um, which I guess does reduce the value when you don't have a negotiating position. Mm. Pep's position is that if he doesn't want to be here. And it was said with no malice. He also was at pains to say what a good relationship they had and everything. But um, he said if, if he doesn't want to be here, then it's right to let him go. So I think that's fair. Um, and along with Mendy, we've been... Quite heavily linked with Bertrand at Southampton. The problem is that letting Kolarov go first obviously weakens our negotiating position and will force up the fee. Um, I, I think more interesting is the amount of money, uh, and obviously the goalkeeper. I mean, the, the goalkeeper needed buy in. Uh, a lot of people um, look at Peppers sort of at times a revolutionary manager and who tries to do things a bit different. And this year he's opted to buy a goalkeeper with hands, which will be a nice change for us from last year. Um, if he can <laughs> take the ball that will be a really revolutionary move if we've got a keeper who saves shots on target. Um, I don't know,
2: did you see Joe Hart last season? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, um,
3: in in terms of what he's replacing, I I was very surprised um, that Caballero went to Chelsea as well. I thought that was an odd move. Anyway, um, the the more interesting stuff to me is signing, uh, spending the amount that we spent on Bernardo Silva for a position that wasn't, Um, immediately, obvious it needed filling. Uh, And then the pursuit of Alexis Sanchez, which I don't know how that will end um, money talks, so if we offer the right fee, then Arsenal will accept it, regardless of what Wenger says, but I'm not sure that we'll go up to the the fee that they want. Um, And the the talk now from um, sources that I I know to be um, very, very good in um, City transfers is that if we can't get Sanchez, then they're going to make a really concerted effort to sign Mbappe, which I don't think would be successful. But um, I find that quite interesting because we don't obviously need attacking players. But I guess Pep and the club are looking at this as we want to have a season where we're playing around 60 games and we're challenging every trophy till the end. Um, And if we lose just one striker, if if we lose Aguero or Jesus to injury, which is highly possible... Um, then it it seriously reduces our options and and tactical flexibility. Um, But I think they are more of a statement. The amount that we go and spend on those positions is far more of a statement than the amount that we spend on what was a a really significant problem for us in having, before Kolarov went, in having one fullback. um, And now he's gone, of having none of last season's fullbacks.
1: Yeah, I will say, I think the reason why it looks so bad right now is because, as you said, you've been on the show for over a year now, and we kept talking about the problem with your aging squad, and it continued to not be addressed. Uh, Last year, obviously, a step in the right direction, bringing in Sané and uh, Gabriel Jesus. This just feels like the continuation of that, just in the defense, where, as you mentioned, everybody was over 30. Um, So, yeah, I, I do think it's exacerbated a bit, because if that had been spread out over two or three windows, I don't think it would have been as stark as this window where you needed three-plus additions at two positions, yeah. um, which obviously makes it look uh, far worse. But as you said, the, that this is the going rate right for those players. And uh, just a note on value. I uh, heard it fairly early on in my supporting of uh, Tottenham and, and have really loved it ever since, which is the value of a player is how much a club is willing to pay. Obviously, there's a difference on the pitch, but if, say, Moussa Sissoko, much <laughs> to Jake's delight, is Offered 30 million pounds to Newcastle to take him, then that's how much he's worth. Is his skill to money ratio very good? No, obviously not. But if somebody's willing to pay that, that is by definition his value. All right. uh, Speaking of Newcastle, Jake, you were on our show last week. We start every season off with a special where we have the three promoted clubs on talking about what's been happening there. You mentioned that you hadn't really made a big splash in the transfer market. Now, since then, just seven days ago, you have now signed two players in Daryl Murphy and Javi Monquillo. Is this the kind of player you expected to be signing when you got promoted again? And is it enough for you to stay in the Premier League this year?
4: I'll just offer a slight correction. We we sold Daryl Murphy. We got Jacob Murphy. I can see the confusion. But... <laughs> oh, <laughs> apologies. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> just just clarify that. But yeah, we got Jacob Murphy, uh winger from Norwich, who was pretty good in the championship last season. And at the under-21s of England, I think he was just as good as Damari Gray and, and Nathan Redmond in those matches. So I think he's definitely a talent And he improved a spot that was quite weak for us last year. We weren't great on the left wing. We were very lopsided and relied on our right wing a lot for attack. So I think that sort of will balance us out, which which was needed going into the Premier League. So I think it's a good sign. It's not one that's really going to, you know, shake things up in terms of where we're going to be in the league. You still... A player who hasn't done anything in the Premier League, and it's a bit of a risk, and it sort of shows where we are as a club at the moment. You've you've all talked about the, the television money, and the one thing Newcastle don't have this season is we don't we didn't have that television money, and we're really feeling the effects of relegation this season as opposed to last year when we sort of had had some money still parachute payments, and we had the television deal from the previous year, so we could spend a bit. But now this year we're in a completely different league and we're really seeing how that's affecting us in the transfer window. Uh, Benitez really isn't happy at that, but I think he must have had an understanding of of where we'd be this season and we weren't going to ever challenge where he wants to be. We need to stabilise for one or two seasons and get that money in so we can push on and bring in that higher calibre of player and I think it's going to be a really slow rebuild and, and if Benitez sticks around for it he has to be praised. I think he must have knew it was going to happen but it, it's such a big project and if he does come out successful with a trophy in three or four years time then I think that would be a really that would be up there with his Liverpool achievement uh, of what he did there. I think it's, it's a huge job and he's already done so well and this summer it, it's going to be an interesting one. Jake Murphy's an alright player. Javi Mankio he did well at Marseille on loan. He was okay for Liverpool, not great. I think at the time, some people thought he should have been given more of a chance. And at Sunderland, he was awful, but everyone was awful at Sunderland apart from Pickford and Defoe. So I'm not really going to put too much into that. I think Rafa must see something in him. Apparently, the the reports he's had back from Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid I think he was at the youth ranks of both obviously he's come from Atletico were both good so Rafa likes to check out on his players sort of get reports back from coaches who have worked with them so that's a good sign especially in terms of a character I think he's, he's going to be only a backup player but pretty interesting I think he's a player that could really come on under Benitez we saw that with Kieran Clark last season I think a lot of uh, fans this year coming up against Newcastle. I think Kieran Clark is a bit of a joke defender, but he is certainly not that anymore. He, he's improved a lot under Benitez, uh, and I think he's going to be in for a great season. So hopefully Benitez can do that. It's all going to be about improving the players we have, bringing in players with potential, and really bringing them on quickly. And I think the the one thing we have as an advantage for that is, is Benitez. I think he's he's easily the, the seventh best, best coach in this league, if not higher. I think he's really our... Our Joker in terms of what we can achieve, I think he's really going to push us up, and he he, he he's going to you know tactically there's not many better than him, so I think that's that's going to be a huge plus. You know, I'm just looking at our record transfer fees just to sort of bring home the point of where we are. Our record transfer fee is still Michael Owen paid in 2005. So yeah, I think we've probably got the longest-standing transfer record that hasn't been broken. Before, after that is Alan Shearer. After that is Albert Luque. So yeah, none of them are recent, and, and it's kind of worrying. But the, the the five of the next six came in that season. We were relegated, so I think we were slowly starting to push on and to spend a little bit. But we're spending with the wrong coaches, spending on the wrong players. Uh, We've the, had them, uh, Mitrovic and uh, that that year. Yeah, Wayne Tal, Talvin. Shelby Townsend those sort of players yeah it was all, all of them so we're slowly getting there we've totally rehauled our our scouting system and Benitez is is the pivotal figure in that I don't think there's going to be there are many managers in the Premier League anymore it's a lot of sort of committees that do transfers but Benitez is definitely the guy who does transfers at Newcastle so I think that that can be only be a positive thing from what I've read and from what I have sort of from what I've heard from people, I think we're going to the biggest deals are still to come for Newcastle, and I think we need to bring in three to four quality, sort of maybe not quality players, but players that are better than what we have, so we can continue pushing the players we have to improve. Because if you train with better players, you're going to become a better player, so you know, we have to sort of look for slow, slow improvement as opposed to just bringing in like like if you look at West Ham, like we can bring in an Art Outovich at the moment. We don't have the funds to do that. We can't just go out and spend big on one player or or two players and just hope that pushes us on. We need to just really work on the team, improve the weakest link. I think we're slowly doing that this summer. I think we, we've improved a weak link uh, uh, on the left wing. I think uh, Florian Lejeune, the centre-back, comes in. He's a ball-playing centre-back and he'd really match up well with Kieran Clarke uh, as a pairing. So I think that improves the weak spot as well. I think we need a striker. One of the things we didn't have last year was, uh, or two things ago was goals. And we haven't really addressed that. We don't have any more goals in the team than we really had then. If any, we got less without and So we need to bring in a striker. Probably a goalkeeper as well, yeah. I, I think we're going to bring in a few players. And I think... Even without any more signings, I think we'd probably be all right to stay up here because of Benitez, but it's all about keeping him.
1: Mm. Is this one of those years where you just are going to assume that there's probably going to be three plus worse teams?
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, yeah, I think there will be three worst teams. I think to start with, I think Huddersfield and Brighton start beneath us. We've got a lot more Premier League experience than them. And we've got a better manager. And I think there's going to be a few teams that don't do too well. I, I, like Stoke haven't really pushed on that much. Burnley. I, there's enough teams down there. The Premier League wasn't great quality last season under the top sure. six. And with Benitez, I think he's worth, he's worth the 10, 10 points on his own at least. I think he's really going to just... I can't see him getting relegated in a full season. So I'm yeah. not too worried about that. But I don't think it's going to be a great season either. It's going to be very much one of consolidation.
1: Well, you're going to start the season well when you manage to beat us uh, away again. So (laughs) that'll set a nice tone for you to start 2017-18. Coming to you now, Sean, with West Ham, Jake alluded to it. You bring in Arnautovic. Uh, Chicharito says he's on the way, so we assume that's going to be confirmed here soon. You already mentioned the City Boys, Zabaleta, and Joe Hart joining as well. This is a, a lot of player movement. I'm just curious as to what you think the goal is this season by bringing in this many players. Is it just top half? Last year, obviously, finishing 11th. Is it trying to challenge that top six, the top eight? Where, where do you think uh, you'll end up with all these players, and do you think that makes it worth it?
5: Well, I think there's there's four and we haven't finished yet, but um, we had a mayor last, um, last summer. We're bringing in people like Tour and Simone Zaza, And and these foreign imports just didn't work for us. And and in January earlier this year, our chairman, David Sullivan and David Gold, said, look, we need Premier League experience. We want proven Premier League experience. We're not going to gamble with foreign imports anymore. We want leaders. We want personalities. We want characters. And this is what our strategy is. You know, starting with Zabaleta. All right, he's not the quickest. But you know what? You ask any City fan, he's loved by them. He's got a lot of experience to hand down. He's got a lot of leadership. Joe Hart, yes, he didn't have a good season on loan. He's lacking a bit of confidence, but he's still a world-class goalkeeper. And again, I think that will really help uh, West Ham push on. For whatever reason, Adrian and Randolph were not rated by Slavs. Uh, He's let Randolph go already. If someone comes in for Adrian, he will go as well, and I'm sure we're bringing a backup. And Outovic... Uh, you know, it's our record. I mean, I, I've just been doing a blog on all the record uh, signings. And it, it's, it's amazing, you know, with um, AU last year, uh, at 20.7 million and now 25 million. He's on 100 grand a week as well. Uh, so and a five year contract. So there's another 25 million. So it's 25 million transfer fee, 25 million on wages for an out of Here's a guy who's got a lot of character. I mean, if you look at all his previous misdemeanors, I know he's knuckled <laughs> down since he's been on Stoke, but you know, he he, dra- he drove into a bike on a uh, uh, into a golf buddy and tore his ligaments. He 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 told a Austrian policeman that he would he earned more in a week than he could in a lifetime. This guy's got a character. Even even last week on his own Instagram, he's sticking two fingers up. He's left Stoke. He's on his way for a medical. He's sticking two fingers up and go London here I come. He's yeah. definitely going to be a nightclub uh, buddy for, for Andy Carroll. But um, the real jewel in the crown, and proves we are moving on, is that we can we can uh, we can get someone like uh, Hernandez. You know, old little P, and and even Jose Mourinho said. He said, here is a guy, he said this in April before we signed him, here's a guy who's almost guaranteed to get you 20 goals. He's a poacher, he's a fox in the box. And that's what we wanted. Our strategy is, get more goals. That's what was missing. We want to push on to a top eight, you know, a top six. Um, but if Jose Mourinho's be believed... And he only said this last week. He said he he was talking about his own team and his lack of transfer. But he said, look at West Ham. And he named the four players we just named. And he said, it looks like West Ham are, going, are playing to win the Premier League. I will leave it there.
1: <laughs> so, uh, everybody, uh, talk to your bookies now. West Ham to win the title. Um, I have a second thing that I wanted to ask you about that is uh, pertinent to the team I love and you do not um in Tottenham we are going to have to deal with uh moving to a new stadium the next two seasons this year moving into Wembley the following year into yet unknown named stadium uh White art Lane 2.0 is the best we can think of at the moment
5: What well, is going to be called Uber Stadium
1: that was a a negotiation at one point it was never uh finalized but i'm curious to get from you as a fan of a, a club that had to relocate last year uh, what could Tottenham avoid so that it would be less impactful than it was for you last year? As you said, it was not a great season for you.
5: Well, it, it, it's tricky because you've got to bring the hearts and minds. You know, it's always emotional. I know you're not really moving very far, but it's, it's difficult to get the fan. It's about the uh, match day experience for me. Uh, and you have certain rituals and everything. And even knocking down your stadium, it's going to completely transform the area. And... People sometimes, marketing departments of Premier League get carried away in the marketing uh, and they think that's everything. But actually, you've got to really think about the match day experience, where people are going to drink, where people are going to eat, where they're going to celebrate afterwards, how they get in, how they get out of the stadium. That's where you've really got to concentrate on the fan, the fan experience. And oh, too many clubs, and this includes Arsenal with the Emirates, Don't think about that. They think about the aesthetics and the branding uh, and everything else. There's one thing I think Spurs have got to learn from the West Ham experience is all of that, you know, because straight away, we were fighting with Bournemouth on the first day of the season, you know, because they didn't get Mm. the fan segregation right. And then, you know, this modern day thing with they were selling popcorn, right? And and dazs ice cream, Ben and Jerry's ice cream stalls. Uh, and I just think it devalues football a little bit. Each time we we go a bit more mainstream, and there, there's popcorn sellers, and ice cream sellers, and candy floss at football games. <laughs> I think it just devalues the the, the 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 traditional working man's game a little bit more.
1: Because it becomes um, more of an event rather than just about the sport.
5: It is, and and and, and it becomes more of a tourist attraction than it is uh people who go uh, who go real football fans who go for the love of the game, you know? They 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 sometimes don't care whether they're going to, you know, a concert or a, a which day have we turned up? What's on today? Is it, <laughs> is it a football game or is it concert athletic? Doesn't matter, as long as there's something good to, to to watch. And and, you know, don't get me wrong, that's what the Spurs model, you know, they're gonna go after a franchise for NFL and, you know, they want concerts and everything else. So it becomes a destination in itself. So don't lose your soul. Don't lose your identity as fans. It's It's got to be, it can't be soulless. You know, if you've been yeah. to the Emirates, you'll find there is a bit of soulless there. It could be said about the London Stadium, about West Ham as well. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping we're, we're, we're trying to build it. We're trying to have, we've got our first year in now. Uh, it's going to be strange for you. That the funny, the first thing last season was, for the first five or six matches, it was like going to Wembley every day, walking along Wembley way and going to Wembley. Well, for our, our Spurs fans, <laughs> every day is going to be like going to Wembley. And I am looking forward, Kev, to Spurs away. I'm hoping you're going to come over for that. And, uh, for and for West to,
1: Ham? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'll be coming over at some point for sure.
5: Yeah, but go, go West, Ham, West Ham, Spurs at Wembley, that, that, that's going to be a special day out.
1: Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. And as you say, a lot of clubs will be looking forward to uh, singing the Wembley chant, uh, as of course, everybody will be making it at least once. Uh, All right, now we're going to head into Player Watch, which is not just going to be which players have impressed and disappointed this week. Uh, I think that was a a segment that I particularly loved, uh, perhaps more than some guests and definitely some listeners, uh, based on some feedback we got back. So this will be changing uh, each week. It won't always be the same segment this week since it's still pre-season, pre-season. I'm interested to get uh, your guys' prediction on who will be your leading goal scorer and who will be your leading assister in the 2017-2018 Premier League season. We'll lead off with you, Mark.
2: Okay, I'm going to go top goal scorer, Sadio Mane. And top assister, if he's still at the club, come September the 1st, Phil Coutinho.
1: Yeah, yeah, despite all that Barcelona-reported interest tied to the whole Neymar thing, but we are not a La liga slash league podcast, so <laughs> you can get all your takes on that elsewhere. Uh, all right, uh, on to you now, Richard, for Manchester City. You have this whole debate here between Aguero and Jesus, and obviously you still have De Bruyne who can whip in free kicks and uh, everything like that. Where do you think this one will fall?
3: Um, I'm gonna go for top scorer as Jesus uh, his his record in the games that he did play last season was absolutely ridiculous um, there'll be a bit of rotation between him and Aguero but I think they'll probably play together more than uh, more than they did last year when they were both available because they played together the last two games of the season and they were sensational together but it is going to require Aguero to drop a lot deeper than he's been used to before I still think he will score a lot of goals but I am going to tip Jesus to be our top scorer Um, top assists I'll go De Bruyne because that's what he does the guy gets a ridiculous amount of assists even when he's not on form Uh, so I think that one will be pretty cut and dry
1: yeah, the the only mild concern I have about De Bruyne, which is based in just silly facts and stats, is that the last three years, the player that had the most assists had a huge drop-off the following. Uh, I assume that that won't happen to De Bruyne, but like, it happened to Fabregas, it happened um, to Otzel, and so hopefully you can stay clear of that drop-off this year. Jake, Dwight Gale, last season, scores, what, 23 goals? Yeah, 23. Yeah, for Newcastle, which is a lot. But the last time we saw him in the Premier League, he was a on and off again left winger for Crystal Palace. Do you think he'll be able to repeat any uh, reasonable return like he did last year in the championship?
4: Yeah, I I think Dwight Gale is a very good player. I don't think I've seen many more technically gifted with his feet play for Newcastle, especially when I went to see – I saw them – saw him six or seven times live last year. And it is and It's just the way he can beat players. And it's just, it's quite impressive. I think he was very misused at Crystal Palace, which isn't a surprise considering he played under Alan Pardew. I think Benitez is geared assistant to Dwight Gale's strengths. And he really comes out looking at a very, he looks Premier League class. He looked a cut above in the championship. And I can't believe he's not going to do well this season. I don't think he's going to get... 15 plus but definitely somewhere around 13 14 is a very reasonable target is like he scored a goal every night three minutes in the championship which 23 goals doesn't give him justice because he was out quite a long time with injury like he would have broken records in that league I don't think there's been a striker that that's come up with the record he has like a goal every night three minutes is ridiculous even if you're playing for Newcastle in the championship that is a ridiculous record I think he's definitely gonna gonna get a lot of goals he would definitely be our top scorer unless we bring in a better striker which isn't out out of the question, Rafa will want to improve and it will definitely bring in a striker of some sort, whether they'll be better than Dwight Gale. I've heard Andre Gray mentioned, who's a very similar mould, so it sort of shows that he wants to stick to that system. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But at the moment, yeah, Dwight Gale will be our top scorer. Definitely, he's probably our best player. So yeah, that's, that's he's going to score a lot of goals. Uh, assists, uh, I'm not too sure. Probably. Richie? Yeah, either Richie or Shelby, I think. Shel- Shelby's, I think the only player we've got that could turn a game in the Premier League, he's got that quality on his day. Uh, I've never seen him look so fit. He, he looks really fit in pre-season. He, he, apparently, he did a lot of training over the summer. He He's he slimmed down. He looks very upright. He's been talking about England again. Whether he's going to get to those heights. I, I said a lot last season that I, I thought he was going to get to those heights this season. He's definitely somebody who could get into the world cup squad if he has a good year i think he's at the right place for it under benitez so yeah i'm, I'm gonna tip shelby i think set pieces and the way he can just lift a ball o- a long b- ball over to dwight Gale. he can just put it on a 6 seat. there's gonna be a lot of goals like that so yeah I'll, I'll go shelby for that
1: all right and wrapping up with uh you sean it's actually really interesting to see how you will roll out next year with all these new signings you still have andre ayu there who played up front and on the wing last year, you would bring on Nartovich, who can also play up front or on the wing. We assume Chicharito, though, as you say, will be the man up front, and as you said, yep. could be a twenty-plus goal season striker if we can believe well, Jose Mourinho. Special which,
5: one says twenty; you're guaranteed twenty goals, so I'll go <laughs> with that. I, Andy Carroll will probably be on the bench. D'Afra Sacco, another striker, probably be on the bench. Will be
1: in the physio room. I, I think
5: right? A. U. will spend a lot of time on the bench.
1: Do you not uh, think he might well, be on the way out?
5: Well, I think if a big came in and we could get a twenty million back, it would it would be gone straight away. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, Hernandez Little P, uh will be our top goal scorer, and, and and I will be delighted if we can hit twenty goals uh, for our top goal scorer. They usually come from a variety of people. Um, you know, we need a hero. We haven't had one since sort of, you know. Dean Ashton and, and John Hartson, really, and, and Paolo Di Canio, it, it, you know, a goal scorer who really scores. I think John John Hartson was our last goal scorer that scored over 20 goals, uh, so it's well overdue. Um, as for assists, I think it could be a three-way tie between Antonio uh, Lanzini and Anatovic. Um, You know, all three um, have got really good uh, records for giving... Assists. I think Kanatovich got five. Uh, I think it was five or six from Lanzini last year, and 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 six or seven from Antonio. So, you know, if we feed little P, he will score. I believe, and and they're becoming whipping him from the left, whipping him from the right, and he just sit there in the, the six or the wherever the box, and be knocking them in all day long. So that, <laughs> that's my dream, anyway. <laughs>
1: All right. uh, Well, this has been fun trying out this new format with you guys, but this part will always stay the same. We're out of time. So if you'd like to tell the people where they could reach you, now would be a good time.
2: Uh, Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. My name is Mark. Uh, It's Mr. Mark Simpson. And yeah, if you want to find out about anything Liverpool-related, it's all there.
3: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at RichardTheBurns. I'm also on the Blue Moon podcast, which is released every Friday, a dedicated Manchester City podcast. And uh, throughout the next season, I'll be writing two articles a week specifically about City for Yahoo Sport UK.
4: Yeah, you can get my Twitter at JakeJapan with two Ns. Uh, I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room uh, quite regularly, so check both of those sites out.
5: Hi, yeah, you can find me at ClarenceHugh.info, where I'm assistant editor there. We, we run about 20 stories a day on West Ham. got very good sources. I also do blogging on WestHamTilIDie.com. And uh, when the season starts, we'll be podcasting again on a West Ham podcast called more than just a podcast.co.uk, and that's more as in Bobby Moore. And you can find me on Twitter at West Ham Football. Cheers, guys.
1: Yeah, and if you'd ever like to reach us at the show, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert
4: hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes